we are sitting here not because we have it all figured out. We're working on it, but we don't have it all figured out. That should not discourage you from sitting here and uh, joining us tonight. But uh, our rabbis teach that there is uh, no wise person like the one who has experience. And uh, we are blessed with eight children, one son-in-law, two grandsons, and um, we've done a pretty decent job. Not a perfect job, but we've done a pretty decent job. And we've made a lot of mistakes along the way. And we have learned to some extent from our mistakes and we continue to learn. And um, we are a work in progress, which actually, there's one message that uh, we'd like to convey tonight is that if there's any takeaway, it's that we as parents have to be a work in progress. And the more that we are a work in progress, the more we are going to better ensure, um, at least not necessarily ensure, but the, the, the more we can um, contribute to do our part in, in hoping for a, a uh, wonderful outcome um, from our children to the, uh, to the hopes and dreams that each of us have for our children. So it really, it really, it's really about work that a parent does with themselves, for themselves, about everything, as we're, we're going to elaborate on, not just about parenting, but being a work in progress is really the key, ultimately, to um, successful parenting. But we can all go home. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we do invite you to um, submit questions. Um, those that are present, you all should have our number, so you can send a text or WhatsApp, and we'll kind of sort through everything. And those that are on... You can ask also, yeah, correct. Um, and those that are on Zoom, you please um, submit questions in the chat. We'll try to address some of them towards the end of tonight's uh, discussion. Um, and if they pop up and it fits in, we'll try to address it in real time. And then in our second session next week, we'll try to make sure that everybody's questions are addressed. So um, we're, gonna, we're gonna start with two Torah thoughts. I'm gonna share one and Dina is gonna share one. So. Um, yeah, I just have just part of it. Um, so at the end of, um, we're familiar with the story of Joseph and his brothers. The brothers uh, sell Joseph into slavery. He ends up in Egypt. He faces a lot of challenge in Egypt. He's thrown into, he's accused falsely, he's thrown into prison. Eventually, he's taken out of prison because he interpreted the dreams of the butler and the baker, becomes the viceroy, the prime minister of Egypt. And sometime later, because of the famine in the land of Israel, the brothers come down to Egypt to, um, to collect grain, to, to provide for their family. And in the process, we, we read about how Joseph creates a scenario um, to compel his brothers to recognize their the mistake that they made many years earlier. And at one point, Benjamin is taken into, uh, into an imprisonment and Judah comes to argue on behalf, to plead on behalf of Benjamin. And in his discussion, in his monologue, which is actually a monologue, he, pre he presents a story how our father had uh, had two sons, one of them was, was taken away, one of them is no longer here. And if we don't, if, if Benjamin is not returned home, 
Who knows what's going to happen to our father? He will go down into the grave because the, the soul of Benjamin is bound up in the soul of Jacob. In other words, these two souls are very much bound together. It's an emotional plea. It's an emotional plea, and, and this is kind of the, the climax. This is his punchline that the souls are bound up with each other. Um, one of the commentators on the Torah, known as the Baal HaTurim, shares an interesting parallel to, um, to a verse in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15. So the Baal Turim's, like, um, the way he always explains Torah is he'll, he, like, copy-paste. Like, he wants to see where else in the Torah is this word used. So the only, he finds one other time this word kshura, tied up, bound up, is ever used in another. So in this context is like their souls are together, father and son, you can't do this. You will destroy my father. And then one other time kshura is used and it's in this context. In this context in Proverbs, which it says, Ivelis kshura belevnar, if folly settles in the heart of a lad. So, um, so th these words, if folly settles in the heart of a lad, Ivelis kshura, the word kshura means to be tied up. But he draws the parallel that just as Jacob and Benjamin's souls are bound up with each other, so too folly is bound up in the heart of a lad. That is, that when there is folly, when there is a, um, when there is struggle within, um, go ahead. Folly is like frivolousness or, 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 Narishkeit or craziness. Like think of think of young children, teenagers. Like they're filled with folly, right? They have all these ideas about what they want their hair to look like, what they want to be when they grow up. Like you know, just think of like the teenage mind. This is folly. So you know, it used to be. What did we think of folly? When folly is tied up in the heart of uh, a lad, we had to go back to Proverbs, and it says, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child, teach them well, or and then they won't go off of the of the of the right path. But what the Balaturim is saying here is what does he say is the only way, go ahead, to go confront. Ahead, the point. Go ahead. Go ahead, you got your okay. So the only way to confront the folly of a child is if you are bound up with the child. So if you are connected to the child. So the Balaturim, this is ancient, ancient, ancient. So like today we talk about people like to say that, you know, um, some of this um, conscious parenting or or gentle parenting, it's like, oh, so new age. And it's like for just for, you know, what, what are we doing to the children today by being so soft? But I kind of, we wanted to bring out this point that um, once upon a time, this was what the, what Proverbs was telling us was that this binding up with your child in order to get your child out of to mature in order to get your child to do, to be willing to, to grow up is they have to be sure they have to be connected in this way. So connection is going to be like a big discussion. A big focus and a big theme of, of all of the parenting discussion that we're going to have is about that connection. And if we, if we can put ourselves in, in the, in Judah's mindset, right. Watching this story unfold and he understands the deep connection that exists between father and son and we can try to bring that into our own experience in relationship to our own children, kind of the, the feeling we want our children to have in terms of that internal connection, all of this will come to life for us.
So that was one Torah thought. And then the second one, Okay, so, um, you know, everybody likes to um, make a, a joke or, or talk about, there's a, an aphorism, Tsar Gidolbanan, like the, the Tsar, the pain of raising children. That's what it is, Tsar, the pain of Gidol growing, of growing children. So really, um, I, I've heard it, it, it turned on its head from, um, um, Dr. Russell, Dr. Russell, is that Shimon, Dr. Shimon Russell, and he says, it's the pain of growing up through your children. That's what it is. That's what this aphorism is talking about. It's not the pain of raising children, but it's the pain of growing yourself through the children growing up. It's you growing through your children. And that really also ties into our theme tonight. Do you want to share a screen here? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Why are we here tonight? So, um, maybe you tell us, everyone can tell us. I yeah. Think we're not on that. Is that just going to run on its own? No, it's okay. So, um, anyone want to share? Yeah, if anyone here wants to share, maybe if anybody on, on the Zoom wants to put in the chat, why are you here tonight? What's, what's the one main compelling reason that brings you here tonight? Guess what a parent doesn't need in my experience. Okay. Do we have that on the list? um yes our own triggers uh, all of us want, want a our better children life. to have a better life than we had or at least as good okay cycle breaking cycle breaking okay anyone on Okay, so real life experience, learning the connection between the Torah piece and um, conscious parenting, not like getting away from thinking this is new agey. I think that's really helpful also because nobody wants to be doing something new, especially when we come from like this long tradition of doing everything a certain way for so many years. It gets very scary. Cycle breaking. Same, I mean. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a book of mine where I learned to support my wife. And, uh, <laughs> Change the patterns also now. Okay. We have here on, on Zoom learned some of this for my older kids, but wished I'd learned it sooner and now want it want more info from my younger kids. Great, okay. great. So a few other things that we have here is that we all have we all have dreams for our children, right? We're blessed with children and we we have hopes for our children. And uh, we want to put our best forward foot forward to to hopefully bring to that outcome. Um, what's the second one? Um, so what, what, what do we want from our children, right? We want willingness. We want them to be willing to get up in the morning. We want them to be willing to brush their teeth. We want them to be willing to get out of bed, to listen, to, to get a job, to, you know, everything could be whittled down to, we want willingness from our children, right? That's what we're really looking for is for them to be willing to show up as the people they are willing to be part of our family. Just that, 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 that um, functionality that if, if I was going to give it one word, I call willing, willingness. Okay. We, we mentioned the other one. All of us want our children to have a better life than we had, or at least as good. Um, children are complex beings, and we only have the knowledge and our experience to use in our influencing of them. And I think that was one of our um, messages here on, on Zoom as well. Kids don't come with a manual. We can only pass on what we know. So... Um, they don't come with a manual, so we've got to we've got to figure it out, and uh, we want to try to do that as best as possible. Um, good evening. 
Um, adding in the burdens of the day-to-day -day life and physical exhaustion, which, you know, really throughout humanity, people dealt with that, but we live in particularly unique times with, with the accessibility and internet and information and phones and, and, and there's like, who can breathe, right? And then we have to deal with children and we wanna show up for them in a way that we know more than ever before that we can. And just trying to figure out how to balance all of this stuff is, is just overwhelming. Um, and then add into that our own triggers, right? All of us have triggers, right? We see what triggers our kids sometimes um, when we have patience to, to, to look at it. And we have our own triggers. And how do we kind of reconcile our triggers in trying to navigate um, good, healthy parenting? Um, and, then, and then this is, I think, um, this is a really important point is that we have, I feel like there's a different way of speaking to here. It's like more lectury and then to here. So I wanna to try to keep it here. Um, so we have, um, I think we live in, you know, I heard it said somewhere, I don't remember where, like we're very enlightened, but we're not quite there yet. Like, you know, this, because if we were there, Mashiach would be here, right? We wouldn't be, we wouldn't be in a war and we wouldn't have famine and we wouldn't have uh, hunger and we wouldn't have people struggling. So we're, we're not enlightened completely yet, but we live in times where we can think we are because things are going so well for us and we are so privileged and we have so much information and we have, and we we're living in really good times and things are really going well for us, you know, and, and, you know, it could change on a dime. Who knew we would be in the middle of a war like now. Um, my niece said the other day, she said, she said to her husband, um, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm reading about the war. She's like, I felt like I should be in curlers and in a house coat, like reading about the war, like wh where are we? Anyway, so we do live in these really enlightened times. And then we have these, I think what, um, what happens with that is we have these really high expectations of ourselves. And we have these, we really think that we're gonna be the ones to like get it. And I just think it's really, really important that we don't lean into the perfectionism in just in a whole other area of our lives. Cause like we're kind of running away from perfectionism in one area of our life, right? Like maybe we grew up with parents who wanted us to look a certain way and it was so perfect or be a certain way or, or have manners, right? And we're like, no, we're not doing that anymore because we're letting kids be. But then we're inadvertently becoming perfectionistic in this way too. And that's a real, like something to really be aware of. So we wanna be better, but we have to constantly remember that we're people and we're gonna make mistakes and to be light about that and not, um, and we'll talk more about that guilt and everything soon, but we're, we're going into this to get more tools and to do a better job, but we're always gonna be struggling. We are, we're always gonna be struggling. And um, what we could hope for actually is having, they say there's like the 80, 20 rule. Like if you're a good parent, 80% of the time, you should be really, really happy with yourself. So if eight out of 10 nights you go to bed and you don't feel like a total idiot or jerk or meanie for how you treated your kid that day, then that, and you just go to bed with like a peaceful heart. Like my kids are happy, even if, or even if you did say something you didn't like, you were able to repair it with your child because maybe you didn't grow up with anyone repairing anything. And you went to bed with just very sad feelings inside of you and nobody acknowledged it to you. So if we're just doing that, then we have to give ourselves kudos for that. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to hit the punchline. Yeah. We're going to hit the punchline. 
And then we're gonna kind of build it back up, try to give you some of the background information, and then we'll, we'll bring it down into very practical and um, give, provide some tactics. And then again, questions along the way, please feel free to ask, or you can save them for the end. So what is the core solution or what is the core idea? What's the big idea about parenting? It is that children need connection. The most sure. important, right, as we mentioned before, the, the connection. The most important thing you can do for your child is provide connection. And we're going to elaborate what connection is, but let's, let's look in the Torah for a second. The first time the Torah tells us that something is not good, the Torah tells us, Lotov hayos ha'adam levado, it's not good for man to be alone. In the context where God then goes ahead and creates Eve, Chava. But the Torah tells us what's not good. God created a wonderful world, a beautiful world with everything is, is good. good. Is good. And he day says, day. for it was good. Finally, he creates man and he creates one human being. And he says, it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. In other words, what, when we feel loneliness, when we feel disconnected, when we are feeling not understood, not appreciated, not connected, not, not, uh, not loved, not... Um, soothed, not seen, all of these things which we'll talk about, we're not feeling connected. And that's not good. The opposite of that is that when we're connected, that's good. That's goodness. And from that goodness, everything stems. Want to add anything to this? Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll never forget where I was sitting in um, IJP. We were having a um, professional development day and the woman, Peggy, um, had come from conscious discipline. Now this is a woman who's not Jewish. She's Christian. And she like, I don't know. I felt like she was looking me in the eye and she's like, what do we want from our children? We want willingness. You know, just what I said to you before, we're looking for willingness. That's really at the core of everything is willingness from our children, willing to show up, willing to serve Hashem, willing to be a member of society. And she said, willingness comes from connection. And it was like a ton of bricks. It was like, I had studied this in Tanya. I had studied this in Chumash. I had studied this in, in you know, in the story of Yosef, I had studied it, but it didn't, for some reason, she was that messenger to give me that message that connection is everything. Now, just, um, you know, we're going to get into the brain. It's very important. I always feel like I have to cover the brain states in case people are not familiar with them, but um, it, it, connections outside of the brain make connections inside of the brain. That's how a child's brain grows. So if I am a child and I am playing with rocks in the park, and then I come to school and my Mora, my teacher has rocks for counting. So I have made that connection that these rocks from the park are now the rocks in my school and I count them at school and now I'm gonna start counting them in the park. That's just such a rudimentary basic level of connection. So, you know, they say that if you have friends, if you're friends outside of school with the people that you're in school, that that creates more connection for your child. So we know it creates connection because you're actually going to a birthday party, but it's even familiar faces. Like these are the people that go to my synagogue. These are the people I see in my school. These are the people that come to my house. All of that is connection. All of that is wiring the, that is literally growing the child's brain. So aside for that benefit, it, that is actually the benefit. So what you're doing is your, your, the, the way the brain is working is that they are able to because of all those connections, that is where their willingness comes in because they feel like it's all, think of it as all these strands that are pulling them to be with those people and do the things for those people and have the willingness to show up as a 
a human in this world that I'm so connected in because I don't want to, I don't want to pull back because I'm, I'm here. Like think of just the imagery is that I'm, I'm, I'm in this world. Like I'm, I'm, um, I'm just super connected. Um, so when we have that with a, with anybody, if you think about it, like the people that are willing to show up for you are the people that you have shown that you've been connected with as well. Like that is the most, our basic need is to feel connected. And then really everything kind of just evolves out of that. I want to, just before we go further, I just want to, for the adult to connect with this idea of needing connection. Sometimes we have to look at the negative to recognize the positive. You know, if any, anybody who's participating now, think about today, you had moments of frustration, you had moments of discomfort, you had moments of self-doubt. Um, we're sitting in Jeff's place, which is about recovery, people who struggle with addiction. There's shame around that. That's, that's one of the big triggers for addiction is they feel shame and they feel alone because of their shame. So whenever we're feeling this kind of discomfort, if you drill it down, there's a sense of loneliness there. And when we, you know, thank God we have people in our lives and we have our own hopefully healthy story or the, the new stories, the new narratives we tell, for, tell ourselves to, to validate that we are worthwhile, even if we made a mistake, even if we woke up on the wrong side of the bed and so on and so forth. But inherently, even as adults, we're looking for connection that gives us a sense of ease. It gives us a sense of um, worthiness. It gives us a sense of motivation. So if we, if we can draw that contrast within ourselves and then take these little precious beings that don't have all that complex tools that hopefully we have, that's, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for that connection that will help them be at ease, that will produce the willingness that we're, we're so looking for. Yes. Um, can I just ask you a question about connection? Because the sign is, are, are you referring to like safety? Yes, 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 it's yes and more, but it's, but well, let just for fun, let's use the word ahava, the word ahava, which means love, the root of that word ahav means connection, right? So what is love? Love is really about connection. It's about two things being connected. So yes, you are connected when you feel love, you're connected when you're embraced, you feel connected when you're seen, you feel connected when you're spoken to, you feel connected for all of those things. Um, and there are a lot of different ways to create connection. Safety, you mentioned safety, right? So all of those things are all part of connection. Sometimes it's less about what is connection than what is not connection, but it's important to get the whole picture. And we're gonna to touch on some of Just these things. Just very basically, disconnection is, um, is you know the old timeout, right? Timeout was literally your child is we won't even talk about why your child was misbehaving because usually a child is misbehaving is for, you know, not their own problem really. And it's not misbehavior that they want to be doing, but they just can't succeed in the moment, right? So you have a child that is misbehaving and then to cement that behavior and to rat, what's the word, rectify the behavior, we put them in timeout, right? So you've to just- correct, to, to correct, right, to correct the, behavior. the behavior, we put them in timeout. So here you have a child who's, already flailing, like think of them as, you know, they're, they're just trying to get noticed and they're just trying to get their, their needs met. 
And then what we do is we say, oh, I'm going to punish you for trying to get your needs met because you didn't do them the way I understand them. And how am I going to punish you by creating disconnect? Right. So, and then, well, that's, the, that's what I meant is the punishment is the disconnection is the punishment as opposed to, you know, time in, which is like, I can see you're trying to ask me something. I could see you really need something. I can see you're really frustrated. Whatever it is you're saying to a child, that's connection. That is bringing them back in. You know, a child, you go shopping with a child and this could be a child of any age, a, a young, a, a child that's having a, um, a temper tantrum, or even a teenager, you take shopping and she's like nasty to you in the store. Like, you're going to buy me this. And oh my God, I hate all your, your choices. And you know, nothing, you know, you could any age and then I'm never taking you shopping again. Right. That's like the, the thing that's going to just like eject from our CD-ROM because that's what we we have heard. And that's what we know to say, I'm never taking you shopping again. But now that we know that we know connection is the, is the most important thing we can hopefully stop. We'll talk about this, how we get there, but we could hopefully stop ourselves and say, wait, Am I disconnecting? So I'm just adding literally fuel to the flame. I am I am not going in the direction of getting a willingness <coughs> from my child. I am going in the opposite direction, creating disengagement, disconnection, more anger, more stress, more anxiety, more cycles. Just all of that is, is happening from disconnecting and saying, I'm never going to take you shopping again. Maybe yeah. Part of what you're saying, though, is that not only like the discipline setting, but maybe you're doing all the things you're checking off the list, you're making dinner, you're packing your lunch, checking them in, you're doing all the like the perfunctory actions. Right. You don't necessarily feel like either you are connected to your child or your child feels connected to you. So not only like in how you respond to negative behavior, but maybe you just feel like you're doing all the things that parents should be doing, um, but not necessarily feeling connected deeply. And that can help with something you want to create more of. Doing those things will make connection necessarily. Okay, so that's a great point. So I was kind of, you know, sometimes you have to bring out the extreme negative in order to see the, the opposite of it. So someone here was, so um, she was saying that we also want to do things that deepen a connection. So we have a connection with our child as long as we're not disconnecting from them. And then there's the next step, which is actually creating moments of, you know, um, silliness, playfulness, you know, private jokes we have between them and, you know, going out one-on-one -on -one or whatever it is, reading, letting them lay in your bed with you, making their hair, touching them, all those things that create more more connectivity, but I'm, I'm, I'm literally talking here from a, like, we're starting from a point of just not disconnecting, you know, because we are connected naturally with our children. And I'll, I'll also say that there's, you know, when we do live in a world where things need to happen, right? So kid needs to go to school, kid needs to go to bed, kid needs to wake up. I mean, the, all of this thing needs to happen. And we go to our, um, we move into a mode of action, right? We got to move things forward. And it's extremely difficult to move internally within ourselves to be able to focus internally on the child, right? Even, even if you're not in a movement mode, but the child is misbehaving. So right away we go to, okay, we got a problem here. We got to correct it. And that's all that's normal, right? That's normal that we think that way. What we're trying, what we're understanding now, we're going to jump into some of the brain science and so on is to understand that maybe those ways don't actually do the trick. Maybe there's something that the child needs that's far more important. And we, we're going to talk about the fears that we have around this and this idea that we need boundaries and stuff. Okay, so all the stuff that we've talked, we're going to talk about all of it. Okay. Okay, let's, yeah. Okay, so I just want to very quickly, most of you, I mean, if you're at IJP, you for sure know this already, but um, we'll just quickly go through the brain state. So 
um, the the oldest, the first developing part of our brain is the reptilian brain. That's like the brain that is first developed in your child. It's the animal brain. It says, um, am I safe? That's um, AI safe. Am I safe? Okay. Um, that is the survival brain. That's the brain that is going to take you into fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Like that is, that is your brain that will, will develop all of its coping mechanisms based on how it is raised. Okay. So it, it will go into fight, flight, fawn, or freeze based on stimuli that comes into the brain. It is a natural reaction, but those neural pathways will become cemented more and more and more. They'll become like, um, they'll become tunnels basically, the more it needs to react that way. Often it is a, the nature of a child, there's a nature of a child to fight. There's a nature of a child to freeze. There's a nature of a child to fawn. There's a nature of a child to flee, but that gets, some of it gets learned, but some of it, it, it just keeps getting cemented the more that has to be used, okay? So the more fearful I am, the more I have to use those responses. Then we have the limbic brain, which is the emotional brain, and this starts developing as the child, it, it comes with the child, but it, it develops more and more, and that's am I loved? That's the emotional brain. That is, um, that is when your child you know, as they get older, you can talk to them a little, but it's it all they want to know is if if they're loved. If if you if you have that emotional connection, if you say to them, "I'm here for you," you're safe. I love you. You know that is what they want to know. And then you have the um, prefrontal brain, which is your thinking brain, your executive function. This is the brain which, um, and that's to ask me, what can I learn from this? So this is your th this is the only time anyone. Now you cannot be in two places of your brain at the same time, okay? So if you are in fear, then you are boop, you're in your limbic and reptilian brain and you are not thinking about what you can learn from something. So if you are um, um, sad or emotional, you're not in your prefrontal cortex. So you cannot be in both those places at the same time. So you're not making those choices with your with your um, thinking brain when you are in, in your in your survival brain and in your emotional brain. And that's why it's really important to have mastered skills as an adult to train yourself and to rewire your brain. Because if you grew up very unsafe, you're gonna constantly be triggered and going back into those prehistoric brains. And then it's really important to have mechanisms, tools, regulation, skills to be bringing yourself up to your prefrontal cortex. Now with children, it's not like, don't bother, you know, um, it, it, we, we try to rationalize and talk to a child and when they are, they are not in that space, it just doesn't work. They just need a hug. They just need to be told that they're going to be okay. Um, I, I have, I mean, I'm was, I, I literally knew none of this for most of my parenting, but, um, but it's so it's, it's just to watch it at work. I have a child that just does not get up well in the morning and is like just, and then the breakfast is not good and everything. And then, so I'm like ready to be like, you know, you're going to eat this or, and then when I do the like, okay, I know you don't like this breakfast. Oh, I'm sorry. It's just, it's can, I, like, can I tell you, a story about that? You can tell, well, I'm just, I'm in the middle of telling one story. Okay. So like, just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm already, we've got the kid out of bed. Okay. And she's dressed and her hair is made and her teeth are brushed. And then the breakfast is gross. So I'm like, I know the breakfast is gross. I'm sorry. Oh, I wish we had a different breakfast. Two minutes later, she's eating the breakfast. Literally. It's just that helping her know she's loved, she's safe, 
And then she can say, okay, I'm not gonna have breakfast this morning. You know, now she's making, she has rational thoughts to have for herself and she can eat the breakfast. So and we'll talk more about the validation piece. And so just a, a story about this, cause I, I think what's- Do you have any questions Would we know? Yeah, there's no okay. question. Okay. Um, what I find fascinating about all of this brain science is that, you know, the classic scenario of a child throwing a tantrum in a supermarket or in the mall or something, and the parent just can't get the child to do anything, right? You're screaming, you're threatening, whatever. It's not working, right? We've, why? Calm down right now, okay? And, and we, we understand now why it doesn't work because you're, you're, you're having a rational conversation with, with, with an emotion. Maybe you're having one. Maybe, maybe you're, you're trying. Having, maybe right, you're right. rational. Maybe you're also so, emotional at this point. And what's fascinating is when you, when you practice nurturing the embrace, the hug, the emotion, it works. So um, one of our children, um, one morning, as, as children are growing, they like to have their potato chips and their granola bar and their other chips and the other chips. And that's like a very nutritious breakfast. So no, lunch, I'm sorry, lunch. Well, yeah. Uh, so, so Dina comes into the kitchen one morning and opens up the lunch and there's no sandwich. There's no fruit. There's no vegetables. Just, so she said, well, you're going to have to take, you know, just, you're going to have to take out some of these snacks and replace it with some vegetables. And this particular child just that was it. That was a total emotional break. I'm not doing it. I'm not, I'm not going to school, right? You know, we've all been there. And I realized that this child is just not she, totally in, in this emotional state. So I actually picked up the child and hugged the child. I was actually surprised that the child like didn't push me away. They actually melted into the embrace and I walked with them into the other room and I figured I'm just going to sit with this child until, until they're done crying. It took less than a minute, less than a minute, child was finished crying, walked out of my hands, went into the kitchen, swapped out the lunch, went and ate. They were happy. It was like, wow, that actually worked. And I think the more we do this, the more we see that it's it, it's it's just the way we're up op we operate. If my if my older kids are were listening to this, they'd be like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? You know, you did the all the same like you're going to listen to me right now. And if you don't take this, you're never having cookies and you can have cookies tomorrow. You take fruit today. And, you know, all the bribing and manipulating and coercing didn't been there, done that. Sometimes I still do it. So okay. let's, uh, well, just briefly from a, a Torah context, and I'm actually, I meant to put in a, a, another line here, which is the Nefesh HaSichlis. So um, the foremost book of Chabad philosophy is called the Book of Tanya. Um, sometimes it's called the Tale of Two Souls, because in a general sense, we have the, uh, the animal soul, which we called before the reptilian brain or the emotional, the limbic brain, which really both belong to more animalistic, instinctual kind of wiring. And then we have the godly soul, um, which the, the intellectual soul belongs somewhere in between. But fundamentally, the, there's um, some great teachers out there today that really spend a lot of time um, taking these, these teachings and helping us see today's science, today's brain science and these teachings. And um, so we've got the, the animal soul, which we all are born with an animal soul, right? That's instinct. It gets exacerbated. The reptilian brain learns these processes by, um, by continued nurture, negative or positive. Um, in other words, if we're, if we're creating safety in challenging situations, so then that brain gets wired one way if we're not creating safety or if God forbid a child is experiencing continuous trauma. So that brain gets wired in a different way. The, you know, the fire alarms are going off way too often. Um, and then we have the intellectual brain that has the capacity to analyze what's going on, not, not in the same moment, but in, in, a, 
in a calmer moment has the capacity to analyze what's going on. And then we have what we might call conscience. In, in Tanya language, it's the godly soul, it's the moral soul, it's, it's directing us to live higher, to live more purposeful and more meaningful. Can and I learn from this? what can I learn from this? Right, uh, right. So the one thing that, that really, really captured me in all of this, really just uh, building on what we just spoke about before, um, is this idea of the animal soul sometimes. And, and unfortunately, even the way we were taught some of these teachings is, is the animal is like, it's like a gross thing. Like it's, it's indulgent, it's self-interested and it's not a bad thing. It's just an animal, right? And if any of you have a pet at home, you have a puppy or you have a kitten, or you may have a big German shepherd, it's still an animal, right? And, and what does the animal need? It needs a little nurture, needs a little care, needs to be fed. It needs to, and, and when it's not nurtured and fed, it acts out, right? And how do we, how do you take care of your animal? You hug it. So I like to think of my animal as a little puppy. Okay, whatever, whatever animal you have, right? It needs a little nurture and it's not a bad thing. Sometimes animals act out and sometimes the animal within us, not that God forbid we're animals. There's no part of us that's an animal We're human beings. We're, we're blessed human beings, but we have the instinct within us that has animalistic tendencies and based on the brain science really operates in that way and it needs nurture. So we're not bad because we have um, self-indulgent desires. We're not bad because we even have desires that maybe are not holy. That doesn't make us bad. That just means we have a part of us that is driven to self-interest. And we have the tools to ride, to, to re redirect it and to guide it. So if that's true within ourselves, we have the capacity to help our children, both in their moments of um, when they're in their animal soul, when they're in their uh, limbic or reptilian brain to when they're in their prefrontal cortex or to help them develop because children's prefrontal cortex takes takes years to develop, but we can empower them. So that's, I just want to make two points. The interesting thing is, is that your, it says that your prefrontal cortex is not developed until your early twenties. And even Judaism says we don't even get our, 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 um, our, Nefeshel Kus, our godly soul, until our bar and bat mitzvah. So even, even the Torah recognizes that this comes into our body later. And the other thing I was thinking about was um, that paradoxically, that if you ignore the animal soul, so if you tell it it's, 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 it's unnecessary and I'm not going to give you sleep and I'm not going to give you self-care because I'm just going to do, I'm just going to be a do-gooder and I'm just going to push myself. What's it going to do? It's just going to not, it's going to bang on that door. But when you Give it all it needs is a little water and a little drink. And that kitty, that dog is going to stop pounding on your door. It's going to stop whining. It's going to stop moaning. Right. So paradoxically, when you give into that animal soul in an appropriate way, you give it safety, security, the emotional, you, you give it what it needs emotionally, then it's, it's going to stop bugging you really. And then you can actually engage with the world with that willingness and that um, prefrontal cortex. I think that's a really important point vis-a-vis um, something we touched on upon at the beginning about the self-judgment, right? If we recognize that we are human beings as parents and we're not always going to do everything right, that we also have an animal that sometimes gets triggered, we don't, we don't carry such judgment around ourselves. And that it's like at the end of a long day, you need to go to sleep. You need to get a good night's sleep. You need a good meal. If you don't get a good night's sleep and you don't eat a good meal and you don't exercise, you're not going to be able to perform just as an adult in the world, right? 
That's because we all have an animal soul. It needs nurture. And sometimes when we don't get the nurture, and the reason why sometimes we act out as parents is because of the wiring we have from our own childhood, right? And our children can trigger us because we're still human beings and we have to work through that in order to show up for our children in a healthier way. But move, let's move away from the self-judgment because we're just, we're just human beings that need the same kind of nurture and self-care in order to be there for our, our, our children and so on, yeah. Okay, so just um, some other, other points here is, um, is really to be able to get on board with a lot of this, um, we have to really change our thinking, okay? So um, I, people like to say old thinking versus new thinking, but I just think that the, if anyone had old thinking and it was, you know, coercion, manipulation, modif you know, behavior modification, all these like very technical terms, I don't, I just think it was mis miscommunicated. I don't think it was really the appropriate way necessarily ever. I don't think that what we're talking about is new age. I just think we have a deeper and better understanding of what So we what see, we works. see that this stuff is rooted in teachings that are a thousand years old, two thousand right. years old. Right. So I just, I just want to, anyone who, I think people get allergic sometimes to thinking like, oh, you've discovered the next shiny penny. I don't believe that this is a shiny penny. I don't believe that um, conscious parenting is a shiny penny. I don't believe that um, um, more um, um, gentle parenting is a, a shiny penny. I think it's really what, what the intention was, what Torah's intention is. It doesn't always look that way, especially when you look at God and, and different things. But I think that there's ways to peel back. And you know, we were given Hasidic thought how many years ago? 300. 300 years ago, we were just given the, 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 the secrets of the Torah. So a lot of this is just emerging for us to understand now. So um, there, if you, if you just changing your language from how do I get him to, to how do I help him? It, it you are going to come up with different solutions. So when you're going to say to yourself something very simple, how do I get my child to brush their teeth? You're going to think of coercive, manipulative, behavior modification things to do. When you say, how can I help my child? Just those words, how can I help him? How can I get him? If we just change that language, we are creating a new neural pathway in our own minds. And it literally will find another way to get your child to be more willing. And usually it's gonna come with connection because it's helping, right? So I'm going to help my child. How am I going to help my child get out of bed? If I'm going to get my child to get out of bed, well, I'm gonna bribe them. I'm gonna make a chart. And, and sometimes we need these things. I'm not saying we don't, but just know that's the pathway you're going. It's very um, cold. It's very distant. It's very modification-y. It doesn't work in the future. It is going to be, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not coming from within. It's coming from without. And, we, you know, that's another discussion about all the, the outer, the, um, it, you know, if we want our children to work on their own parenting, they have to be comfortable with the, their insides. Like we have to be comfortable with our insides because that's what where we're getting here. So, um, but if you say, how can I help my child get out of bed in the morning? You're going to say like, oh, they probably want to hug and they probably want me to rub their back. And can I get you shoes? You know, could we prepare your clothes the night before? Like you're going to come up with solutions that help them. Okay. Um, the, um, so the new thinking is relating, connection, connecting attachment, the four S's that every child needs, which is safety, security, to be soothed and to be seen. Um, and I just wanna kind of touch on one thing here. I don't know, did we talk about unconditional love at all? 
later? No. Okay, so there's a big buzzword today, which is unconditional love, unconditional parenting. Um, unconditional parenting actually is from, um, what's his name? Um, he, he coined it, um, Alfie Cohen. He's amazing if you ever read any of his books on parenting. But there's safety and security come before unconditional love. Because if there's nowhere to put the unconditional love, then all your unconditional love in the world is not going to help your child. So if there are no boundaries in your home, if there are no expectations, if there are no values, if there are not real things that are containers to hold this unconditional love, then all your unconditional love, you have a lot of kids who grew up with their mothers loving on them all the way, but they, they, they'll tell you it was felt it, it, it there was, there was nothing to stand on there. You, you can't, there's, if you're an amorphous blob and you're just unconditionally loving on your children, you're not, it's, it's a misnomer to think that that's all they need. Of course they need unconditional love, but they need something to put that unconditional love into. And that is safety, security, being seethed, see, soothed and seen is how you give a child safety and security. But that is just something I want to touch on. And then um, I want to talk about the pitfalls. So I have two here, but I want to talk about third one. And this is something that I come across very, very often. Parents will say to me, but they need to be respectful, but they need to speak nicely, but they need to be, um, they need to, they need to be on time, but they need to have good home, um, good organizational skills, right? We have all these. And what I, what I call that is the moral high ground. Okay. So we were all raised on a moral high ground some kind of either we got it from our grandmother our grandfather our mothers somebody gave us i mean tell me if you don't know what i'm talking about there was some like moral high ground like this 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 place we ought to be as jews we have a very strong moral high ground right we have the torah should should all the shoulds right we should get up for our we should respect our elders we should get up for an older person we should not be lazy we should we there are so many things we should do okay true but now, you know, I think of um, what's her name in, um, in, in The Little Mermaid. And she says, I want to live where the people are. Okay, so where are the people? The people are not in the moral high ground, okay? Where do we actually live? We actually live right here with two feet on the ground. So the moral high ground is one day your child, you will give them the tools to hopefully one day choose that moral high ground. And that is their choice. Everyone can be on their moral ground on their own. But if you are so connected to the moral high ground, you are disconnected from your child because it is such a thin rope to, to, you are in your fear brain when you're in the moral high ground, because all you can think about is, oh my goodness, they're not going to be organized. They're not going to be um, polite. They're not going to be um, uh, um, liberal enough. They're not going to be welcoming. There, there, there's so many things that scare us on the moral high ground. So we're actually disconnecting from our children because we're in our fight or flight or, or fawn or one of those modes, and we're not really connecting. So my invitation is for everyone to get off the moral high ground. Your children are gonna do all those things like disrespect, and they're gonna talk back, and, and we're, gonna, we're gonna model for them differently. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna model for them differently. We're gonna let them know what our value system is, but getting caught up in it is, is gonna be disconnection. Good. That's, that's passionate. Okay. Um, um, and I just, yes. Okay. Then the other pitfalls are, go ahead. What? Okay. Yeah. I just, I'll speak about this a little bit. So, yeah. <clears throat> um, 30 years ago, therapy was for people who were sick, right? Crazy. 
crazy, people who had real problems in life. Today, therapy is for everybody. You got your personal trainer, you got your personal doctor, your personal wellness coach, you have a therapist. It doesn't mean that you have to spend every week at your therapist or that there has to be a lifelong endeavor. But in, in um, this may sound a little sacrilegious, but the Lubavitcher Rebbe um, in 1986 began to encourage that we incorporate a mentor, mentor into our lives, that everybody needs to have a spiritual mentor. And really, what is a mentor? A, a, a real mentor is someone who you're comfortable sharing who you are with, your struggles, and they can give you perspective. Now, they're not necessarily trained in dealing with you know, the, the various different things that we need, but at least from a spiritual standpoint. As we said at the beginning, if we're not doing the self-work, we're not showing up in the best possible way for our children. When we change ourselves, when we make the, the, the reason why the parenting is so different is not because it's hard to pull out a whip. It's not because it's hard to scream at your child. It's not because it's, not, it's hard to mete out punishments. That's not why parenting is hard. Parenting is hard because inside here, there's all these conflicting thoughts and we don't, we want to do things different. There's a little, there's a little child inside that needs nurture and care. And we can't, we can't do it on our own. If you have a good spouse, God willing, you have a good spouse. You, you have somewhat of a mirror to help you at least recognize that there are issues that need to be addressed, but we all need a therapist, work it through. There are hopefully the issues that all of us are dealing with are not major, major issues. Some people do have major, major issues, but all of us, if, if we're alive, we grew up in a home and that home has certain things that influenced who we are that give or other circumstances of our childhood. We need to do that work. We need to have the self-awareness, do the self-growth, and then we can show up in a healthier way for our children. Um, speak about self-regulation. Yeah. So, um, you know, a therapist or somebody to put that mirror up to you to, to, reflect and and especially if you are getting triggered if if your children are triggering you constantly it, it is worth your while to discover what is going on so the the self regulation piece is the um the piece where um if we want to be able to help our children get out of their um their emotional brain and their reptilian brain and their survival brain, they're gonna be in that brain 2,700 times a day. And if we go there with them, then we are not, then they have no idea how to learn. We are co-regulators for our children. We, the only way they're gonna learn about regulation and maybe I don't come from a generation where anybody taught us how to regulate. Um, you know, it was, there was, there was no intentionality around that. There was a lot of, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. You're, um, you're amazing. You can do this. You, we, we don't cry. We're, we're strong. And that, and all that is great, you know, whatever. Um, but, um, but the, the piece of actually, now I just want to like, kind of back this up a little bit because, um, I don't want to assume that everybody even knows what their nervous system is because I know people that will get a phone call that tells them that um, they have a flood in, in, in their basement and then they 
um, and they're out of town. And then wherever they are at a town for a wedding, they continue about their day. And then they're out of, they're with their children on vacation and they're yelling at their children. They don't even know, they didn't even stop for a minute to know that the flood in the basement gave them a stomach ache. They have a headache. They're not even stop. People don't even stop for a minute to make the connection between their mind and body, or they got a piece of news. Um, by the way, um, pink slips are going out in the office. They, they file that somewhere and they have, a, they're, they're, they have a tightening in their chest all day. They come home and they're short and they're angry and they're mean. And they didn't even make the connection that, okay. So the first step- It doesn't, doesn't even have to be that traumatic. The, the coffee, the ran out of coffee that morning. Right, okay. Exactly. That'll be more noticeable because you didn't have okay. your coffee. Okay, so whatever it is, your kid was really rude to you and you have a lump in your throat the rest of the day, and you don't know why, you're just in a sad mood. So the first piece is really recognizing that things affect us in our body. Like we sensations. are, sensations happen, we feel sad, we feel stomach aches, we get tight chest, and to sit with that, even if you sit with it later, but to go back to it and say, oh, this morning, my kid said that to me before school. I felt like a horrible person because I sent my kid off to school telling me I'm the meanest mommy in the world. That doesn't feel good. And to just sit with that and notice it, watch it, say hello to it. Don't judge what, whatever it is you need to do with what happened that morning, because otherwise it leaks into everything. So this is the beginning of understanding your nervous system and then being able to regulate. And sometimes it means, you know, getting that, that message that you're fired and having, what are your self regulation tools? Do you breathe? It says that um, breath, that is like the first thing we teach the kids in preschool because breath is so, breath actually moves you from your lower brains into your higher brains. It gives oxygen into your brain so that you can, you can move along. But where do we know this from? It says that, um, God blew into um, Adam's nose in order to give him life. So breath is life. If we want to give ourselves life, life constantly, we have to be constantly breathing. Deep, you know, intentional breaths. We re-give ourselves lives. We reinvigorate ourselves. We take ourselves from a place of stress to a place of calm. Sometimes it's, you know, if you know of a tapping method, my kids all talk, Ma, you want to tap it out? You know, my kids already know that I might need some more regulation tools to get myself calm. And even them saying that to me makes it funny, hopefully, as or I snap at them and I say, I'm fine. Um, but just knowing that there are tools and then there are, and then further than that are, are things, mantras that we tell ourselves why things are happening, but that's not for this class right now. So it's really knowing what your triggers are, knowing about self-regulation and making the mind-body connection for yourself. And then of course, you're going to be able to make that for your child. It's a repeat, but it's bringing okay. it home. Okay. So what do children need? They need connection, attachment, attunement, or you're going to get fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. You're going to get those um, responses if they're not getting the connection, attachment, and attunement. Yes, yes. everybody, thumbs so, up. Okay. Hopefully, we under, we have a clear picture around that now. Right. Those are on... the responses to this. So, if your child is doing any of those things that are fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, you're probably um, um, yeah. So, in Covey's terms, creating space between impetus and response, it's actually not Covey. It's actually um, um, what's his name has said it. Man's search for meaning. He said that that um, everybody there's a everybody has a, a stimulus and response and that is where we have free choice and but in order to have that moment we need to be regulated 
Okay. So, um, so some of this we touched on already, but let's, okay. let's just go through it again. So how do we get this done? How do we get this done from a parent? So we, we talked a lot about the science, talked a lot about some of the, the Jewish sources. Um, how do we get this done? Dina started talking about some of them. So inner work on the adults part, that's the, the therapy, this, the sensation, recognizing your sensations, um, self-regulation, ask all the questions. Right. So like, why am I feeling like this? What happened? Pausing, noticing, um, and, and just to be able, you, it's, you have to have awareness. You have to have a real awareness and maybe you can decide tonight you're going to have an awareness, but there has to be an awakening where you're saying to yourself, like, I'm not just going through my day without pausing to notice that there is, I have bodily sensations that re, that are in response to stimuli that enter my brain. So okay? this next one, I think is really important because we can all relate to it in so many aspects of life, right? We, when we wake up in the morning, we have a framework about our lives, about how, how things are supposed to be, right? And when, when they're not lining up, we go to the fear place in our head. And we, we, don't, we don't necessarily consider it fair. We rationalize it. Like if I, I have to do this, because if I don't do this, then, then what? Like play, play out a scenario. You didn't pay the bill. So you, you completely freak out that you didn't pay the bill. Okay, you should pay your bills on time, but it's not the end of the world. Even if you didn't pay your mortgage, you got 30 days before in Georgia, they'll come after you. I mean, you have time, right? Um, huh? Ten days. ten days, okay, with some grace period. But anyway, the banks don't want it anyway. Yeah, but, but here we're talking about our, uh, we're talking about fear around our children and their future. Right. What, what I'm saying is that what what when we we go into a certain mode. Well, it it it's also about. Um, I mean, I can speak for myself. Like I'm, I'm always like, I got to get the next thing done. So, my child wants to spend more time with me, and I said, but but if I spend the time with them, what's going to happen to that? And I say, okay, what is going to happen to that? Like, let's play it out. What is going to happen to that? And I'm not even talking about like, which is more important, right? But even so, like Dina was saying before, like if the kid, if the kid doesn't, um, doesn't eat all their breakfast, well, you got to finish your breakfast. I, I mean, I, I have an aunt who, who said, when the kids are hungry, they'll come and eat. Right. Here we have to like we're stuffing the, the greens down their throat. I'm not saying it's not important to have greens, but if it's not working, stuffing it down their throats, what's the fear around that? What are we what are we afraid of? Go ahead. Okay. So, yeah. So I just I, I think that a lot of our triggers come from fears because we're afraid that they won't, you know, sometimes we'll you'll see parents pushing their kids to, you know love their grandparents or play with their cousins or be friends with certain people. And all that is around fear. Like maybe you didn't have friends or maybe your family wasn't close and you just want your, so we have these fears around how we want to raise our children, or maybe they're not going to be, you know, um, they, they, they're not studying. They're not going to be smart. They're not going to have a good job because I feel like a loser. So we have to remember where these fears are coming from. And, and just, even if you don't know, you don't have to know where the fears are coming from, but if you are in your fear brain, you're not in your thinking brain and you're not raising your child to a good future. So you're actually paradoxically really screwing it up for your child because you're so fearful. So it's letting go of the fears and dealing with what is. I want to, I want to add dealing, something. Yeah. E even when, even when the issue on the table is really legitimate, for example, um, maybe not your four-year-old, but your 12-year-old is coming home from school with bad grades, right? 
and you're frustrated with that and you're 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 disciplining them right because you have some fear around the bad grades now it doesn't mean that the child should be getting bad grades but you're at your the way you're dealing with it is coming from a place of the fear attitude. the attitude instead of coming from it from a place of relating and trying to understand why the kid's getting, getting bad grades and having a conversation with them and discussing it with them instead of like, so when, whenever we're operating from a place of fear, we're the, the, out, the communication is not about connection. It's about control. It's about coercion. It's about manipulation. It's not healthy. And, it, and some of it has to do with this fear of, okay, if, if this doesn't get fixed now, what's this child going to become? Okay, well, let's, let's play that out. What is going to happen if this thing, this particular behavior doesn't get fixed now, is the child, we, we joke around the house, don't worry, they won't be doing that under the chuppah. You know, it, it, chill out a little bit. It's not, it, not everything that's going on right now, and, and most of the things that are going on are not becoming lifelong patterns. They're just kids being kids. Right, so we have, so the, 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 on, on that is that we do have to deal with what is. So let's deal with the 12 year old who's not getting good grades, but not because I'm fearful about his future. So do you hear the difference in that? I am dealing with the good grades because he should be getting good grades. So he's not wasting his time in class. So he feels like a productive human being. So he's respectful to his teacher. So he's not, I mean, there's a million reasons for today in seventh grade to be getting the good grades, but it has nothing to do with my fear of that and, and or the, that. And the difference is when you approach it that way, let's, we're, we're approaching it from a totally different angle. Why is the child not getting good grades? Right. Cause now what's, you can think what's you're really not in going your on with brain. them, right? It's a smart kid. Maybe they need some extra help. Maybe there's something else going on at school. That's making them not focus on their studies. Maybe there's something they're feeling disconnected at home. Right. But as, but as soon as you move away from fear, you're able to deal with what is instead of whatever's going on over here. Right. Right. So we want to move away from catastrophizing, fear, worrying about the future, and then guilt, because um, you know, guilt is is just it's like a it's it's a um, it's like a drug. You know, it, it just you, you feed off of it, and it, it it distracts you from the real issue because you're just so busy feeling guilty. Um, I just got off the phone actually with a friend of mine. Her her father died, and she's like, "It's all my fault." I'm like. Okay. She's like, he was doing well. He was on his own. And then I invited him. And, and because I invited him, he fell and he died. I was like, honey, wow, that's making you feel good. I guess, you know, taking all, you feel very powerful, you know, taking all this blame for it. And, and it makes you feel like, wow, I, I can do this. I can kill my father, but no, you know, <laughs> if you're like you didn't kill your father actually. So, um, we, we take all this power and we have an, and, when we're coming from a place of catastrophizing and guilt, we are going to react in a powerful way. And when we're being powerful, we're going to have all the power. And then we're going to do all those things that people in power do to people less powerful than them. And that's never going to be good parenting. And that's not going to lead to connection or love. Yeah, go ahead. Can we, because I think that I really am relating to that, like the fear of if they don't do this, then like all the, the domino effect, how do you, how do you not be afraid for their future if they're not paying attention in class? Like that 12 year old monkey. So I was going to say that this is a great place for this idea of holding space for two truths. It's a, it is a shift, right? Within ourselves. We, we, we can oftentimes be very black and white thinkers, right? It's either this or that. And 
it's a shift that we have to talk ourselves into or talk ourselves down from that two things can be true. Good grades are important, but we don't have to approach it from a place of fear. And, and sometimes we have to do that work again. Ultimately, it's about the inner work, recognizing where the fear is coming from and trying to move away from the fear to who's this child in front of me? What do they need? It's hard work. It's hard work. But if, if we can hold space for both of those things, then we can focus on the child instead of what's going on inside of ourselves. So it's moving away from their future to the grades right now. This is, they need to get good grades right now because it's good for them right now. It's, you're going to get the same outcome, which is the better grades, hopefully, and hopefully the better job or whatever you think that's going to lead to. But it's, it's how do you're approaching it and it's your mindset. And when your mindset is different, you're actually going to be dealing with the child in front of you, not with some um, pretend future child that doesn't even exist. So it's, it's really dealing with the here and now is that you're, you're, you're actually going to, so it's, it's not, it's not changing. Um, it, it's it's not changing the outcome, but it's how you're dealing with it. It's your it's the attitude you come to it for. Um, I just want to say, holding space for truth to truths is also also from very much from the Torah. It says in the Tanya that we can be in two places our, of our heart at the same time. We can have two. Um, we can feel two emotions at the same time. I said we couldn't be in our fear brain and our thinking brain at the same time, but we could be in in our emotional space. Like we could we can hold. First of all, we can be in two emotions at the same time, happiness and sadness, in the same ways we can be in our brain. We can say like, this is true and this is true. And we need to bridge those two truths. Um, um, okay, so modeling, there's, you know, there's a lot of different times I've been seeing this lately where people would come to the Lubavitcher Rebbe and ask him for questions. And, you know, you have this like super enthusiastic father and he's like, so tell me like, how do I make sure I have really good, you know, upright, on the high moral, um, 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 you know, ground children and their is like, have a happy home, you know, be happy. Like it, it's really about like the connection piece and, and the modeling piece and doing it yourself. Like you want your kids to be morally efficient. you be morally efficient. And really, um, I was actually thinking about this recently. I had a grandmother who was, I mean, she was impeccable, like everything about her, her, her Judaism was impeccable. Her, just her morals were impeccable. She was, and she was a Holocaust survivor and really just a high caliber woman. I mean, talk about like somebody I could aspire to live up to, but I was thinking like she, the things that she modeled and never spoke about, I actually do. The things that she like harped on me about, I don't do any of that. I really don't. Like I, she talked to me about like the beds being this way and you have to set your table this way. I'm like, I'll set your table however you want. You know, like I, it's, it's fascinating. Like, and the things that she never said a word about but she just did quietly to herself. Those are the things that I interestingly enough do today. So there, it's something to think about just the modeling piece and not having to talk about it. Like your kids see what you're doing and you could tell them, you know, I always, you know I, love, I just love brushing my teeth. It makes my teeth so white and they're clean. Like you just talk about yourself and then instead of like dragging them and then we're brushing our teeth now, but like the whole drag and gravity, you know, not necessary. I want to, I want to address your question again. Um, Cause two things, two things are coming up for me. One is, so her question was, question was how do you, when you have real issues, like, like good grades, how do you, um, how are you able to navigate that when it's actually something that's very fearful for you? Um, so I think the modeling is important. And what I mean by modeling is 
how are we living that same thing in our own lives? In other words, not vis-a-vis -vis our children, but vis-a-vis -vis ourselves. If, you, if, if, if a person is living with a lot of anxiety around stuff that's going on around them, right? You're, you're modeling anxiety and you're living in that anxiety place. So it's just showing up there and it's showing up in, in terms of your relationship with your children. So this is not a question about parenting. It's a question about you. And I'm, I'm, I'm not necessarily suggesting it, but how do we deal with anxiety when, when there's stuff going on in the world, right? Whatever method we're using for that, we really can apply in the same situation with our children. So for example, just to, for fun to play this out, what is gonna happen if your child doesn't get good grades? Play that scenario out, right? That's one of the tools for dealing with anxiety is play, play out your fear around whatever you're being anxious about. What's gonna happen? And if that happens, and if that happens, and if that happens, what, what's the end scenario, right? You know, what, what's the end scenario? We, we, unfortunately, we, we're, we've just lived through COVID and there's a lot of people who had a lot of fear. Now, some of the fear at the beginning was definitely correct. And some people carry that fear and some people legitimately needed to have concern around it because they had some serious medical, underlying medical conditions. But there are a lot of people who just lived with fear. And you, you know what's going on with their children today? Those children have a lot of fear in their lives now. And the fear that the child has and the fear that the parent had wasn't about the child. It was about the anxiety out there. And a lot of us have anxiety out there. We have to navigate that. So I'm just, I'm bringing that back to the idea of modeling. Navigating that modeling is through the self-work again. Modeling the navigating, not navigating. Modeling the navigation. Right, right. It's about the self-work. Right. Um, another, another point here is about empathy now, guidance later. This is also very helpful because even when a child needs guidance, right? Child needs guidance. And, and that's really part of our role as a parent is to help, to help give them tools, right? But in this moment, in this moment, the guidance is not appropriate. Because now the child is in their reptilian brain. Right now, they need love. They need connection. That's what they need right now. And it doesn't mean like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hug them for a minute, and then I'm going give to them, give them the lecture. No, no, no. Right now, there was, there's a, a rabbi, actually your uncle, uh, Rabbi Manus Freeman. He taught this to us years ago that when, when a child does something that's, that needs instruction, oftentimes it's best not to give them the instruction in the moment. Just notice it. Come back to them a day later. Imagine what it does for your child when you come back a day later and say, by the way, I saw how you said such and such to your sister or to your brother or whatever it is. Really, you've been thinking about that behavior for a whole day. That's, that's like that conveys to the child that this behavior is actually really important. But if you try to do that when the child is in the fight with the child or is crying because this one picked on him or that, you know, that message is gone. It's not going anywhere. And not only, not only is the message gone, but the empathy is not authentic either because you're, you're, just, you're just getting through the empathy so you can give the, the guidance. So it, it's, it's a, it, you don't have to throw away the guidance because you're giving empathy. Just put it on the back burner until the right time. I just want to say the reason we don't wait is because it's hard. Like we, we want, it's we're fearful. The, the child's no, I'm going to say that I'm saying that the child's in front of us right now. And 
maybe we're fearful, we're going to forget, but we want to be efficient. Like this is efficient to deal with it in the moment. But paradoxically, again, it's not because you're telling your child, blah, 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 blah. Like they're here. What is that? You know, <laughs> like they're hearing nothing. And it, of course we we're, and, and we're dysregulated because we we're not, we can't calm ourselves down. We need to say it right now because it, it hurt us and it upset us, but that's why we need to be regulated so that we could pause, stop, wait and write it down, make ourselves a reminder to speak about it tomorrow, the next day. It's harder, it's hard. Like this is not easy. It's much more efficient to yell at your child in the moment and check it off your list and say, I just taught my child about patience and being nice to their sibling and 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 being and respectful because I did it. I taught it to my child. No, you didn't you taught your child nothing. So- um, This should really not be tactics. Yeah. These are like um, oh, mottos, okay. but anyway. That's okay, these are just, so I'm just gonna, these are a few um, things, like just mottos that I have in my head um, that helped me, that have helped me. So number one is breathing, reminding yourself to breathe deep breaths and just, you, you cannot have enough deep breaths, pause. Um, okay, I forgot one of them. Another one is oops. Being able to say to your child, oops, I wanna try that again. Like, I don't like the way I just responded to you. Turn around, like physically turn around, say, you know what? Can we, can we try that again? I wanted to say that differently. Oops. Um, Q-tip, quit taking it personally. It's not, it's happening in front of you. It's not happening to you, right? Like um, your child is not out to get you. They're having a tantrum. It's not about you. It's happening in front of you. I would say not only when it's a child reaction vis-a-vis -vis the parent, but even children within themselves, right? Two children are fighting with each other. It's like, oh my gosh, no, they're not doing it to you. They're dealing with it. They're making my life miserable. No, no, they're not. Um, okay. Um, they're not giving you a hard time. They're having a hard time. So that is, you know, looking at, um, you know, that goes into the tip of the iceberg. You're only seeing the tip of the iceberg, which is the behavior. Underneath that is, a, is, is emotions What's and the, thoughts the, and feelings. The, the and duck? Right, right, right. You see this calm or the opposite is you see this calm, placid child. And underneath they're like, you know, like a duck is moving their feet. So sometimes your kid is, we just don't know. We don't know what else is going on for our children. But if we're going to. I will say that that one thing that's coming coming to mind is that when there is a good connection with a child. So even if on the outside, it may look like the child's come. If the child is dealing with turmoil inside, first of all, you'll be in tune to it, but also the child will feel feel safe and comfortable to, to talk with you about it. So it's not something that shows up 10 years later. But if there's a connection there, the child's going to feel comfortable to discuss this with you because you're a safe place to have that conversation. Well, you're a safe place if you've connected with your child, if you don't right. freak out on your child for other things. If you're a freak out parent, like even if your child comes home with poop on their shoes, if you're a freak out parent, then they their neural pathways tell you that their mom freaks out a lot. Um, and or, or or if you you know kids could test you they might tell you something that their friend did and if you freak out about what their friend did they might be wanting to know is my mother going to freak out by what i did um if you're i mean this is something i'm really not so great at i'm just working on is not giving solutions and i don't mean like you know when your kid's very sad um brene brown i think says this like um you want to turn on the light, right? Your kid is scared of the dark. You want to turn on the light, sit with your kid in the dark for a little, let them see that the dark is safe. It's okay to be with their emotions. So there's one level of like, your kid comes from school. Everybody's picking on me. Oh my God, that's so hard. My moral, my teacher was mean to me or my friends, or I had a rough day or whatever age your kid is. And you're like, that's really sucks. 
But so that's, that's one level of being able to sit with your kid. But then there's like, your kid comes and says really dumb things to you. And you think that this is, they've, they've discovered a new way of being right. And they, they figured out life and you want to be like, (laughs) no, that's not how it works. That's where I find myself like having to bloody my tongue. Like I want to correct my child and tell them the truth because I've lived so much longer and I know the truth and you cannot grow up believing these ridiculous things about people, about life. So it's, it's also in those moments of just being like, oh, is that how you see it? Hmm. I mean, this is my daughter taught this to me recently. <laughs> my 10 year old, we went out with her and I, and I asked her, I said, I asked her some personal questions. I said, so are you that she goes, that's what you want to believe. <laughs> she says to me, yeah, mommy, it's my new, I, I, I learned that if you just, you know, you don't really want to tell people, you just say to them, that's what you want to believe. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, kids will do well if they can. So if your kids are not doing well in whatever it is, socially, emotionally, academically, um, 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 spiritually, they're missing skills because our children want to do well. They want to connect. They want to do well. People want to flourish. Um, that's what we're, what we've been put in this world to do. Does, does, if they can also mean if they have, cause it's not necessarily that they're missing skills. They're, they're disconnected within themselves. They're experiencing loneliness and stuff like that. So, right, so if they can is yes, if they can with skills, but also if they can find their own equilibrium. Right. So either they're missing regulation skills or, or, um, or they're feeling emotional skills, right? They're feeling so, they're missing some kind of skill to do well in that area. That's what go. That's the positive intent you see your child with is always um, going there. Now, one I, I guess I could add there is also, or we could talk about this next week, is just the way you think about your children affects them so strongly. Um, our thought patterns about our children, having positive intent towards them, and even teaching them positive intent, like you know when. Um, when something happens between them and saying, oh, she probably, and um, even if it's, even if you know the kids like slap the other kid in the face because she's, you know, angry, but, oh, she probably didn't realize, you know, because, um, and even if you're going to get the reaction like what, you're, you're just training your child to always have positive intent. And then they're going to start seeing that same positive intent in others. And what you're doing is A, you're teaching your child to view the world in a, a nicer, kinder way, but you're also when you have positive thoughts about your child, you're actually, um, our brain can change reality. This is, this is not, um, this is scientific actually. They did a, um, a study on, um, they taught people piano that had never learned piano before, a very simple song. And half the group, they told them to practice on a piano and half the group, they told them to practice it in their heads. And then they came back next week, the people who had practiced the notes in their heads knew it the same way as the people who had practiced it on a piano. So just our thoughts create neural pathways that are really significant and important. So having positive thoughts about your child will create, will, you know, create that environment for your child to be, to live up to that. So um, this is the end of our presentation. We have a few questions that were submitted. We're going to address. And if anybody else has some questions, we'll take them. And um, we invite all of you to, uh, to text, email, um, we have some additional things we'll talk about next week, but if there's some other overall area, I don't have nothing else to say. <laughs> if you have other areas that you want us to address, um, we're happy to do that next week, but let's, let's address a few questions that came through. Um, okay. So, um, I'd love to learn more about behavior modification through positive reinforcement. 
So I think that we kind of address that here, which is that um, behavior modification, if you wanna see willingness in your child, which I guess I'm gonna translate behavior modification as willingness, then um, you need to connect. The positive reinforcement is to give your child connection. If you are going to connect with your child, constantly show them that you're there for them, you're going to see behavior modification. Um, my question is about encouraging my four-year-old to do his morning and bedtime routines. He's always wanting to play and do other things that drag it out. Meanwhile, I feel like I'm constantly coaxing, cajoling for the things that could perhaps be less of a struggle, like brushing teeth, chewing clothes. Okay. So this question is part of it as well. A bedtime is brutal because I have no sense of bedtime. No, right, we try. It doesn't seem to work. I need to decide to slot if by um, bedtime. So um, a lot of um, bedtime and getting our kids to do like very um, um, time management -y type of things is a lot of what works is that connection piece, which is making things fun and making them silly and giving them choices. And, um, and, and um, like, you know, like, let's see who's gonna get into the bathroom first. And I'm gonna, oh, I'm gonna brush, wait, do I brush my teeth like this? You know, just, there's a lot of things that, that your kids can anticipate. And then again, you're building those neural pathways in their brain, you're doing it fun with them, and then they're gonna grow out of it. Soon they're gonna just do it themselves. Um, and you just, you're constantly connecting. If you're doing it with them, um, I think a lot of it is about our expectation. Like we expect bedtime to just fly and it's, it's just not going to fly. So it's, um, we're going to be disappointed if we have this expectation that our four-year-old is going to manage bedtime by themselves. And I can sit on Instagram. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Um, you know, we have to put in the time for it and maybe I do it one night. My husband does it another night. So it's less cumbersome. Maybe I do 20 minutes. My husband does 20 minutes. If, if that we could do that, like, so maybe there's some other ways to make it less tedious, but these are really, really heavy, intense years, but they, they do pass. Like they're not forever. It's not forever. And um, it's just to maybe make a little sign in your bathroom. I won't be doing this forever. They won't be asking me to help them at bedtime under their chuppah. Um, I don't mean to be making light, but it's about our attitude towards our children. And it's about wanting it to be like chick chock, I'm done. It's not, it's, they're going to feel that. They're going to feel that energy and they're going to just push back against that energy and they're going to make you crazy. So if you dive in hands and feet and you say like, I'm here for the next hour, you're going to be there for hour and 10 minutes, maybe because you said an hour. So alter your expectations, but um, connection and make it silly and fun. And what, what are we looking forward to? What's our book? Who's choosing the book tonight? I'm choosing the book. Who's choosing the outfit? Um, you know, are we brushing with this toothpaste? Are we brushing with that toothpaste? Like there's lots of little gimmicks to just make it fun and connected. And I would say like, you know, maybe not with your four-year-old, but with your 10-year-old um, that want to stay up all night, right? So after you've done the bedtime routine and you've hung out with them, you've read a story, you've, you've schmoozed with them, whatever, um, and they just, they just don't want to go to sleep. So you, you can, I think it's fair to negotiate with them. And we do this with, with our, our twins, our terrorists, with our terrorists is that, um, you know, like Friday night, don't negotiate yeah. terrorists, right? Like Friday night, they can actually stay up in their room. You know, we have a little Shabbos lamp and they can read and, and sometimes they'll stay up late and sometimes they won't, but they know that that's, there's, they, they can have that let out sometimes. And even sometimes during the week, if, if everything is calm and, you know, they're in bed and they're reading, they're not going to stay up all night. They, they're human beings. They got to fall asleep at some point. Um, you know, so you, you can have that flexibility.
Um, yeah. So taking out the punch from it, like making taking out the rigidity. Um, okay, it doesn't have to be a power struggle. It seems like it's really hard for you to go to sleep at this time. What could we do? How many more minutes do you need? Okay, you you want twenty five? I think fifteen. Okay, somewhere in the middle. Um, laying with them really relaxes them and calms them. Try meditation. Some kids really do really well with audit auditory meditation at night. Um, there's just different, you know, kids. Some like, people again, need touch, need rub their back, it'll help them fall asleep. I have great memories. My father used to lay with me at night and tell me stories um, till I was, you know, at least eight or nine um, to talk to me about my day. So that was really special, like, you know, laying with my father. So I think that, um, you know, being open to those kinds of, but again, you have to be present for that and you have to have the time and you can't be dreaming about scrolling Instagram. Um, these last two questions here. Um, okay. Um, we can do that okay. Time. So next week, teens, tweens, um, I think the connection piece is so huge with, um, somebody asked about teens and tweens. I think we should, I think we could talk about that next week and resiliency because, um, some of that is just going to dovetail into a lot of what we spoke about tonight, which is the outcomes of this kind of parenting, what you're, what you're, what the bang you're getting for the hard buck you're putting in right now. Any, anybody that's present have any questions or comments that they'd like to share? No, my mother used to do. My mother had a kid like that. The the question is, if your child asks why, 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 why about everything, and it's super, super irritating. My mother used to say to my brother who did this, she used to look at the clock, she see what time it is. For the next fifteen minutes, you cannot ask me why, and she like taught him how to tell time that way because he would look at it and he'd be like, okay, now. Um, Right. I mean, I think going back to what you guys were saying, I'm wondering if it's a need for connection. Yeah. Because she'll I, ask why for things that she knows the answer to. Need for connection. So maybe she's asking why because she doesn't know how to say, talk to me about right. right. Yeah. I think yeah. that's that's very, very much on target. Um, and some children are curious. They really do want to know, right? They really do want to know. It, it it's but it's but, annoying. but so so the, the key here is to to work on relating in other words like like we said early on if you're if you're trying to get them to versus help them so just because a kid's asking why 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 doesn't mean every question needs an answer and it, right. or that it needs an answer right now right but, it sounds like you're really curious about a lot of things how could we help you find these answers because i don't even always have them and give them some tools like, um, you know, or, or this is, you know, these are the questions I'm able to answer for you. Or when I'm driving, I like to listen to music or, you know, do you want to write down those questions? This child can write already, right? Do you want to write down all those questions and we'll choose 10 of them that we're going to, we're going to answer. And then that's connecting time. And, right. and you can time say, together. we can take time. We can, we can go out for, for some tea and we can talk about your questions, right? You have to test some of those things to see what's really going on and be aware of that. Uh, maybe that's what the child is actually looking for is the connection. Or they're maybe just really curious. We tell her, you know, put it in the front of the right now. 
and we'll come back and we'll loop the cars later. Um, and she told us this week that her parking garage was full. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> said, okay. A lot of questions. She needs somebody to spend time with her to. Uh, parking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. to say goodbye here and then we can continue right. in a second um again we invite everybody to uh to send emails texts with your questions or uh requests and we will regroup next week yeah if there's anything you specifically want to cover next week please just um let us know you all have my email i think thank you have a wonderful evening let's see what the comments are